Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So the reading is from Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15, and it's on page 1183 of the Bibles. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Zaitalimian 你们在祂里面也得了丰盛和未受割礼的肉体中死了神赦免了你们一切过犯well, uh, some of you will know that in the next few months, my family and I will be moving house uh, as part of the uh, graft to Uterbridge. Um, and so in the last uh, couple of weeks, we've started doing a little bit of research into things that we're going to need to buy for the new house, uh, things like a, a cooker, a fridge, a washing machine, uh, stuff like that. So we've been on a, a trip as a family to Curry's. 
Uh, we've been doing our research um, online. Uh, but my problem is that I'm absolutely crippled by the amount of choice that there is out there. I stood there in Curry's looking at this row of 20 washing machines, just trying to look like I knew what I was doing. I, they just look like a row of washing machines. How on earth do you choose? And so I just stood there looking like a bit of a, a numpty, I think. Um, but uh, then I had a brainwave. I thought this is exactly why the company Witch was set up. Okay, uh, for those of you um, who don't know, which is a consumer advice company packed with experts who test and review thousands of products uh, to help consumers make the right choice. So when I say that out loud, it sounds like an advert, doesn't it? I'm not on commission for which, I promise you. Anyway, I went on their website and their strap line on their website is look deeper, choose smarter. And that's exactly what we needed, someone to help us to look deeper and choose smarter. And now we are well on our way to deciding what washing machine to buy. Now, you might not be looking for a washing machine. In fact, I expect probably most of you aren't. But there is a choice that each of us here tonight faces day by day in the context of a market flooded with options. And it's a choice that matters a whole lot more than what washing machine you buy. It's the choice of what we believe about the world that we live in. What religion or philosophy or worldview you buy into and build your life upon. And there are so many options. And we're making a choice every day by the way that we live. It's impossible for us not to. And all of us put our faith in certain beliefs about the world. Even those of us who are Christians, who have chosen to follow Jesus, are in reality a complex pick and mix of beliefs. Trusting in Jesus, yes, but always being tugged this way and that into alternative ways of viewing the world. Sometimes we notice the choice before us, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we slowly drift and only after a while do we look back and see how far we've moved and the choices that have led us here. Whoever you are, whatever you believe tonight, all of us are choosing to put our faith in some view of the world. How do we make sure that we're alert to those choices and choosing wisely? Well, we aren't the first generation to face that question. And that's exactly what Paul wrote to the Colossians to address. He's writing to Christians who are being tempted to move on from Jesus and center their lives on other things. Paul writes to them, urging them to continue in Christ and telling them why they should. And in doing so, he shows you, if you're not a Christian here tonight, why there could be no better choice than to receive Jesus as your Lord and to begin to build your life with him as your foundation. In the verses we're looking at tonight together, he wants to help us all to look deeper and choose smarter. Firstly, Paul urges the Colossians to continue in Christ. Take a look down at verse 6 of the reading, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. This is Paul's great concern through the letter to the Colossians, that we don't move on from Jesus, but remain in him. It's what we prayed for Jing a few minutes ago after she was baptized, that she would continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant to the end of her life. But it's odd language, isn't it? Saying we should live in someone. Paul's saying we should continue to live in Christ, 
Because when someone becomes a Christian, a deep union takes place. It's almost like a spiritual marriage has occurred. And a Christian is in Christ, united to him by faith. Friends, it's a glorious truth. The wonder of, uh, of that is something that we'll uh, see more of in the coming verses. But for now, if you're a Christian here tonight, know that you are united to Jesus by faith, and that's a wonderful thing. And for that reason, Paul urges them to stay where they are, but not as they are. Take a look at verse 7. Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, you've been rooted in Christ, but now be built up, grow in him. I remember a few years ago, we planted a tree in our garden. We carefully chose the spot, dug a hole, planted this tree, and then waited for it to grow uh, to stop our slightly creepy neighbors from spying on us, actually. Um, That's a true true story there. An unnecessary detail, never mind. (laughs) We wanted it to stay where it was, but not as it was. And the same is true for Christians. We've received Jesus as Lord. Our roots are firmly in him, and we never want to move on from him. But we want our trust and knowledge and love of this Lord of ours to grow and flourish. We stay where we are, but not as we are. Paul's able to tell them to keep going as they are, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, because he knows what they've been taught. Just look over to chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. They've been taught the true apostolic gospel about Jesus, the gospel that we today have contained in the pages of the Bible. And it's because they've begun in that gospel that Paul's able to say, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. And he tells us to be overflowing with thankfulness. Because as we give thanks for something, it reminds us of how great it is. And it reinforces our joy in it and our commitment to it. That's been my experience even this evening as we've been singing words of the gospel together. Continue in Christ. Stay where you are, but not as you are. Having received Christ Jesus as Lord, having believed the true gospel, grow in him. And on the other side of that coin, on the other side of the coin from the command to continue in Christ is the command to reject all rivals. Take a look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. In a marketplace flooded with other options, Paul says, don't be tricked or duped by other worldviews that look great but are ultimately hollow. Let me tell you about Numbers 23 to 24 Leinster Gardens in London. They sit in a beautiful row of townhouses right in the heart of London, right next to Hyde Park and Kensington Palace. I looked on right move, and there's a three-bed apartment in one of those houses that at the moment would set you back three and a half million. Another one, four million. They're idyllic and luxurious. But if you were to buy 
either number 23 or number 24, Leinster Gardens, you'd be sorely disappointed. And to show you why, here's a photo of the back of those properties. There's nothing there. And here's a view from above, just a gap in the row of houses. Numbers 23 to 24, Leinster Gardens, are a facade. There's nothing there. If you stepped through the front door, you'd fall onto a railway line. Beautiful from the outside, but hollow within. All worldviews and religions and philosophies, other than those built on the true gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord, are like Numbers 23 and 24, Leinster Gardens. They each have attractive qualities, but behind the facade, they're hollow. There's usually a partial truth that would draw us in, but they're ultimately unsatisfactory, deceptive, incomplete, or self-contradictory. They look great from the outside. They invite you in. They appear to offer a full life, but it turns out there's nothing there. Whether it's atheism, the belief that there's no God, pluralism, the belief that all beliefs should be considered equally valid, Scientism, the belief that science can answer every question about life and existence. Humanism, the belief that we humans have the responsibility to provide our own meaning and purpose for our lives. Relativism, the belief that truth changes according to context. Hedonism, the belief that personal pleasure is the ultimate aim of all human life. Or any other ism that you care to think of. When you look past the facade, there's a great yawning cavity. Huge questions about life, purpose, meaning, and value are left unanswered, unaddressed, nervously ignored. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, says Paul. But even if you're not tempted tonight to make a great shift in your worldview, it's possible within the Christian worldview for our focus to drift so that it's no longer on Jesus We can still be going to church, doing Christian activities, while our attention and excitement has moved on to other things. The Colossians were being tempted to move beyond Jesus, to focus on religious rituals, thinking that those things would bring them life and blessing. See to it that no one takes you captive. Christians here tonight, you and I need to continually check ourselves for drift. What is my Christian life and faith really about? Where is my focus? Is it on getting some religious experience? Is it on, all about receiving physical healing? Is it about self-improvement? Is it about finding community? Is it about winning the approval of others? Or... Is it about Jesus? Is it about him? If your faith has begun to be consumed by a fascination for something other than Jesus, then come back to him. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Continue in Christ. Rejecting all rivals, says Paul. But someone might ask, well, why choose Christ? What makes him better than the other options? Well, here's why. Because fullness of life and blessing 
are only found in him. Look at verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, that means all the fullness of God, lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Do you see there are two reasons to choose to continue in Christ, rejecting all, our, uh, all rivals? Firstly, because Jesus Christ is God. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity of God lives in bodily form. <clears throat> and as such, he's the head over every power and authority. Jesus is the boss. <laughs> Why would you move on to worship lesser things? It would be like getting an invitation to go and meet the queen and write back asking whether you could please meet Princess Beatrice instead. Why would you do that? It'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And why would you move on from Jesus? There's no one greater than him or better in any way, by any measure. He's God. Why would you go anywhere else? And secondly, verse 10, you have been given fullness in Christ. Fullness of life and blessing are only found in him. And in the rest of this section, Paul shows us why being in Christ, united to him by faith, is such a wonderful thing. He shows us how we've received fullness in Christ. And the first thing he says there is that we've been remade into new people, set apart for God. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Now, to understand what Paul's getting at there, we need to know that a long time ago, before Jesus, God's people were identified as such by circumcision. It was the physical sign of being set apart for God, devoted to him alone. But since Jesus, under the terms of what's called the new covenant, the new way we now relate to God, the physical sign that identifies us as God's people is what we've seen tonight. It's baptism. Circumcision has been replaced with baptism. And that's fantastic because baptism is a brilliant sign of what happens when someone becomes a Christian. Because as we plunge Jing under the water, <clears throat> It was a picture there of burial, a sign that by putting her faith in Jesus, her old self is dead and buried, a putting off of the sinful nature, as Paul puts it. And as we lifted her then up out of the water, it was a picture of resurrection and new life, raised to live as a remade person, different from the old, because now she is set apart for God, devoted to him. That spiritual reality is possible for the Christian because even though we haven't physically died and risen, we're united by faith with Jesus who did. He died and was buried, defeating sin, and he rose to new life. And we Christians, by being united with him, have done the same journey. We're done with the old, a new life now. I'm set apart for God. That's what holy means. It means devoted to God, set apart for him and no other. And it's all symbolized in our baptism. Just as my wedding ring identifies me as someone who is married and set apart for my wife and no other woman, my baptism identifies me as someone set apart for Jesus and no other. Baptized people 
are to be devoted to Jesus just as married people are to be devoted to their spouse. And consider the blessings that are now ours as those who are united with Jesus through his death and resurrection. Verse 13, and I think these are perhaps the most spectacularly beautiful words in all the Bible. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. A couple of years ago, someone very close to me was scammed out of a huge amount of money, tens of thousands of pounds gone in a few hours. And of course, he phoned his bank and explained what had happened. But the problem was that he had actually behaved very foolishly, and it um, was um, really his fault in allowing this scam to take place. And so the bank were under no obligation to cover the loss. And to make it worse, the stolen money wasn't even really his. They had created a loan um, in his name and then withdrawn the money and moved it abroad. So now he was in huge debt, and he didn't have the money to pay it off. And it was a very upsetting time, actually, for him and for those of us in uh, the wider family as we waited for days and then for weeks to find out what the bank would do. He felt foolish, fearful, and burdened by a debt he couldn't pay. I cannot tell you the relief when the bank phoned up to say that they would cover the debt. Friends, we were dead in our sins, burdened by an impossible debt of sin, but God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, Verse 14, having cancelled the written code with its regulations, that's a reference to the legal bill of our indebtedness. It was against us, opposed to us, but he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And oh, how much greater a relief to have lifted and forgiven the impossible burden of a debt we could never repay. As the old hymn goes, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And I praise him, not because he waived my debt, but because he paid it himself. In the pierced and bleeding body of Jesus, the punishment was delivered and my debt was paid. The crippling weight of my sin was carried to the cross by Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Do you see how blessed we are in Christ? Once dead, now alive. Once indebted, now forgiven. Once guilty, now acquitted. Because I'm united to Christ by faith. Continue in Christ, rejecting all rivals, because fullness of life and blessing are only found in him. Christianity is all about Jesus and the good news of the cross. At first glance, it looks foolish. A carpenter from Galilee is nailed and killed on a Roman cross. You're going to follow him? Seriously? Yes. Because while it looked like Jesus was the one who was stripped and made a fool of and defeated on the cross, the reality was just the opposite. Take a look at verse 15. 
and having disarmed the powers and authorities, that would be better translated, having stripped the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I expect most of us here will be familiar with the story of the Trojan horse. The legend goes that the Greeks laid siege to the city of Troy, but the city was a fortress with impenetrable walls they couldn't get past. And so eventually, the Greeks built a huge wooden horse out of one of their ships and left it on the beach as a gift to the people of Troy, apparently giving up the fight and sailing home. The people of the city of Troy saw that the Greeks had gone and saw the wooden horse and began to celebrate. They opened the gates and brought the wooden horse into the city, seeing it as a symbol of their victory over the defeated Greeks. But in fact, the Greeks hadn't returned home. They were waiting in their boats just a little further around the coast. And hiding inside the wooden horse was a small group of Greek soldiers, now inside the city walls. That night, while the Trojans slept, the soldiers broke out of the horse, took control of the gates, and opened them to the waiting army. The Greeks poured in, and the city was taken. To the people of Troy, the horse was a symbol of their victory over the Greeks. But it was, in fact, the very means of their downfall. And so it is with the wooden cross of Jesus. At first glance, Jesus looks to be stripped, disgraced, defeated, his enemies triumphant. But look deeper, and you'll see the reality that at the cross he claimed the greatest victory the world has ever seen. Because behind the veil of a dying man is God defeating death by passing through its gates and from within tearing it down. Not folly, wisdom. Not defeat, victory on the most spectacular scale. When faced with the choice of what to believe about the world that we live in, about what to build our lives upon, who would choose the crucified man? Those who look beneath the surface, look deeper, choose smarter. Behind the facade of rival worldviews, there's nothing there. It's hollow. But fullness of life and blessing are found in Christ. And so Jing, Eve, every Christian here tonight, choose to continue in Christ all your life. If you want that to happen, stay where you are, but not as you are. Having been rooted in him, seek to grow and be built up in him. Ask yourself, am I pursuing every opportunity, opportunity to be strengthened in the faith, the true apostolic gospel contained in the Bible? How could you start to do that more intentionally tomorrow and through this week? Where is your focus in the Christian life right now? Has it subtly slipped away from Jesus? You know, the primary way we're to think of ourselves as Christians is disciples of Jesus. A disciple means being a learner and a follower. We're to learn from Jesus and to follow him, to hang off his every word and respond to his every command. Does that describe you and me? For myself, I have to confess, not nearly enough. Let's fascinate ourselves again 
with Jesus. Read of him, think of him, sing of him, delight ourselves in him, and never move on to other things. If you want to continue in Christ, here's another thing that Paul suggests. He says, learn to be overflowing with thankfulness. Praise him every day for the gospel, for your union with him, for the cross and the blessings you have in him of life, forgiveness, acquittal, victory. Rejoice in those truths every day. Bring them to your mind as you praise him, as we've been doing tonight in song. And you'll be daily reminded of the fullness of life and blessing you have in him. Why would I move on? And maybe you're a Christian here tonight, but you're feeling wobbly in your faith, wondering about whether to slip away. Maybe you even wondered about whether you would come to church tonight. Or maybe at some point you did slip away and maybe you're on the edge of coming back. Jesus once asked his disciples if they were going to walk away from him. And Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See the wisdom of that reply. See beneath the surface as Peter did. There are so many other places you could go. So many other things you could believe. But really, there's nowhere else to go. Because behind every other religion, worldview, or philosophy, there's nothing there. My friend, only Jesus makes sense of the big questions of life, of meaning, of purpose. If that's you tonight, put your trust in him and in no other. We all tonight and every day have a choice to make about what to believe about the world that we live in. In making that choice, may each of us look deeper and choose smarter. May we see the way that things really are. And may those of us who are disciples of Jesus continue in Christ, rejecting all rivals because we see and believe and have come to rejoice in the truth that fullness of life and blessing are only found in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that united to Jesus, we are blessed beyond our wildest dreams, that in him we are made full. And we pray that you would keep our fickle, wandering hearts rooted in him, staying where we are but not as we are, growing in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness. We pray for those we love who are captive to hollow philosophies, that you would show them the greatness of Jesus and the wisdom of of the cross. Captivate their hearts and ours with Jesus. And please would we continue Christ's faithful soldiers and servants until the end of our lives for your eternal glory. Amen.